You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. There isn't a one-fits-all solution. Ultimately, when you're working and you're like, I want a happy, productive workforce, you think I'm going to implement this one thing and then everyone will be served. And the truth is, it's a one-fits-one scenario. Welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. My guest this week is Aidan Napalm. She is the host of the Changed podcast. She's also a senior facilitator for On Your Feet Improvisation for Business. And she's also the president of the Art of Change, Skills for Life. She helps people to navigate our ever-changing world by coaching skills and exploring habits that develop people into stronger collaborators, better business partners, and more influential communicators. She's worked with the likes of Dell, Nike, Lockheed Martin, IAAP, the Federal Reserve Bank, Uber and more. I think you're really going to enjoy this high energy discussion that I have with Aidan all about communicating more effectively. And there are definitely some practical tips that you can take away from this conversation. And stay tuned to the end where I will summarise the key points. Welcome, Aidan, to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Yeah. Hi, I'm Aidan Nepom. I am president of the Art of Change Skills for Life, a senior improviser and facilitator at On Your Feet Improvisation for Business and the host of the Changed podcast. Um, and so what I do is succinctly put is if you say it with your mouth, I can help you have a better time with it. Um so I help people communicate more effectively, get better collaborative outcomes in the workplace. Uh, and in the Changed podcast, I help people explore what it means to change, to be changed, to inspire change in others, and ultimately to define this huge word, change. A scary word as well, I might add. Yeah, it is. Well, it's interesting because we use it in all these different contexts, right? Like um, I changed my socks once yesterday or I've changed my brand of toothpaste. Um, and also I've changed careers, I've changed my life, I cha- you know, so yeah. changing habits. So we use this word in all these different ways. Um, and so the Change Podcast explores what does that mean um, and we do that through the concept of story. Um, I find that story is an excellent way to explore what something really means because it paints all these various pictures and we get this tapestry of meaning as a result. Um, So I have different guests each week come in and tell a story about a fork in the road moment after which things changed. I love it. I love it. And we're here specifically today to talk about communication and you know, communication to me is it's fundamental really to being happier at work, isn't it? It's 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 at the basis of everything. Um so I'd love to explore that topic with you and and you know, where do we start? Like maybe just talking about well what does communication actually mean? Like what what do you mean when you when you talk about it and how do you then 
build on, you know, what are the stepping stones then to create a more effective communication within an organization? Yeah, I think it's a great idea to try and define terms because again, it's a big word and we use it in so many different contexts. Even the word story is a word that has like slippery meanings. If you talk to somebody who's in branding and marketing and use the word story, it means something different than what I mean in my podcast when people tell stories with a beginning, middle, and end with words that paint pictures. Um, So when I think about communication, uh, you know, I think often people think of um, talking or writing, and that's an integral key. Um, Those who have been through all sorts of, you know, HR trainings or um, leadership training or whatever will know that communication also refers to listening. Um, But for me, uh, it's most useful to think about communication in terms of the exchange of ideas, plain and simple. It's the exchange of ideas. Um, I have an idea about something and I want to communicate that to you. And it's that, that dual purpose of, of hoping that you understand, checking to see if you catch my meaning, knowing that words aren't perfect symbols of thoughts and that the way that you process those words are are going to be different. Even now I'm like, am I communicating this idea of communication? Um, And the only way to know is to stop and check. So I don't know. What do you think of when you hear the word communication? How do you define that? Yeah, I suppose it's, to me, it's it's verbal and it's nonverbal. And like you say, it's written as well. So there's all sorts of different aspects to it. And it's, I, I liked that you used this word of meaning and checking for meaning and checking for understanding of another person. And, and um, there's a there's a great quote, uh, you know, the the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that has actually occurred. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's so true because people assume that they've said something and that it's been understood. But actually, if you were to check whether someone understood what it was that you intended to say, then you might get it. You might find a very different outcome in that scenario. So it's. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. The, I mean, the crucial part of communication as well is listening. So it's not just about what the person who wants to, to communicate. It's the it's the receiver as well and what they've actually received and, and what they've listened to and what they've been able to pick out and filter out and the meaning as well that they've assigned to the words that you've used because there could be a trigger within the words. There could be something. So I'm kind of rambling on now about um, <laughs> about what it means to me. <laughs> but that's, that's essentially yeah. what it is. Are you familiar with... Um the concept of curse of knowledge with the experienced tappers and listeners. Has this come up on the show before? No, it hasn't. No, no. Tell me more about that. So tappers and listeners is a really interesting experience that I often use. Um, and, uh, what's cool about it is it comes from this, uh, this concept curse of knowledge that came out of a study done at Stanford, I think in the eighties. Um, and I'm blanking on names. Uh, people who know me know that my, my forte is, uh, experience, um, sharing experiences, uh, name dropping is like, my, it's, it's not a skill I've developed well, but, uh, but you can Google, um, curse of knowledge tappers and listeners, and it will get you, uh, information about the study. There was a great HBR article about this a couple of years back. I'll find those and add them to the show notes. Oh, excellent. Absolutely. Because I think it's worth exploring, uh, but here's basically what happened. So in this study, uh, they had um, 
they split people into tappers and listeners and tappers would tap on their hand, a song, um, you know, like essentially like that. Right. Which song do you think I was tapping? Happy birthday to you. I was tapping happy birthday. That's awesome. So you got that one right. Um, but if I were to try and tap something else, you might not get it right. So mm -hmm. here's what they did. They did a hundred songs. Um, and they found that for the tapper, the confidence level that the listener would guess the song was exceedingly high. It was like, you know, they, they might think 80% of the time or a hundred percent of the time that the listener was going to guess because the they know like it in their head. Total confidence. Exactly. Yeah. But the listeners, uh, do you want to take a guess at how often they were able to guess the song? <laughs> And I'm going to say 40%. It was actually less than 3% of the time. Less than 3%. Okay. Less than 3% of the time. And, and it's, it's really fascinating. So it is the curse of knowledge is this idea that as, as you noticed, as I am tapping a song, what I hear in my head is um, the whole song I'm hearing orchestration and I'm hearing choir singing. I'm seeing, you know, a parade marching down the street going happy birthday to you or whatever I'm, you know, whatever I'm experiencing. Yeah, yeah. But the only information the listener is getting is the sound of the thumping against the hand. And the way this applies to communication is how often are we tapping when we could be giving more information. We could be singing. Humming would be an upgrade to tapping, mm. um, let alone bringing in the entire band. So in business, when it comes to communication, it's critical to be noticing when your audience, who, whether it's an audience of one or many, to notice when they're not getting what you're giving, uh, because that could be an indicator that you are tapping. And so that's one of the concepts that shows up a lot in the work that I do, and this is a concept actually that I um, I gleaned from my colleagues and on your feet. Um, we use this in a lot of our work together, uh, tappers and listeners. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, we'll, you'll share the links. It's absolutely worth reading about. And it's, it turns out it's also a really fun game to play with your family when you're passing the time to just tap songs and guess them. So, you know, bonus, you also get something you can do at home just for funsies. <laughs> Which I'm a fan of funsies. If you're like <laughs> me and you like doing research and data, then you're going to want to uh, measure what 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 are the percentages, like how what's your confidence level that you think that other people are going to get it right, and what's the actual percentage that people did get it right. So that that excites me in in uh, more ways than one. Let's say, um, I have most certainly heard that concept before. Maybe I didn't understand it as tappers and listeners, but the idea that what you think you're saying or what you think you're communicating is uh, you haven't actually used all the words. And I think maybe this is, I always think that maybe I have this problem um, that I think I've said something, but actually I didn't get to the point or I skirted around it slightly, or I assumed that the other person knew what I was talking about. So I'd love to hear more about you know, so we can do that game and we can kind of have a bit of fun. But what are the steps to taking, I suppose, to understanding a little bit more about how to avoid that or yeah. know more about what it, is, what it is you're saying or how you're communicating? Yeah, it's tricky. This taps a little into, um, you know, the, our cognitive biases, the, 
the shortcuts that our brain takes, these assumptions that we make, which is that people understand what we're saying when we say it. And it's actually really good to be able to fall back on those assumptions from time to time, because if we were to stop and verify every single piece of data at at all times, um, to double check every single bit of stimulus and to try and understand every moment that we might be experiencing bias, we would be paralyzed with inaction because it's so much (laughs) processing. So you do actually have to surrender sometimes to the fact that you're just going to assume people get it. Um, But uh, when you're delivering new information to people, you know, you could do worse than to simply stop and go, do you have any questions? (laughs) You know, just that that's an upgrade uh, to simply conveying the information (laughs) and assuming. Yeah. And it's, and it's so brief. So that's a nice one. It's just a brief upgrade. It's a good one. Um, you know, and it can come across as condescending when you say something like, I need you to repeat that back to me so that I understand that you understand what I'm telling you. You know, it's like that can get really unpleasant. So you don't want to go so far over the line in search of clarity that you are now into this territory where you're not trusting anybody at all ever to understand your meaning. Um, but I do think it is useful to register, as you mentioned, communication is body language. Register people's faces. Notice when they look confused. Um, notice when they're checked out, uh, you know, how often have you been in a dynamic where you've asked a question and a person responded? And so you thought that you got an answer, but if you'd really been paying attention, you would notice they weren't making eye contact. They were looking somewhere else. They were multitasking so that later when you come back and you're like, well, I asked you, you would realize that you hadn't successfully connected the dots there for them. So it's, it's helpful to to notice more um, when you're communicating with people and then to open that invitation to get clarity where previously you thought you were giving clarity, but make sure, you know, just, just a tiny little ask. Do you have any questions for me? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) You got it back. What would you say, Aidan, are the, the, the biggest blocks or the biggest issues in relation to communication in the workplace? What 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 do you see as the, the kind of big things that are going on? And I, I suppose, especially in the time in the last nearly a year at this stage of remote working, you know, and that obviously is going to have a huge impact on the way we communicate with each other. It's so challenging um, because You know, as we know, evolutionarily, it is difficult for people to do their best work when they are feeling afraid. And so I think in service of that, a lot of people are trying to have more touch points and have more meetings to try and like make sure everyone knows that you're human and to have these connection moments. Um, And it's a double-edged sword because you can't artificially create stability where there isn't any. Um, you definitely want to leave room for people to be human. Um, but this tendency, I think, for people to sort of uh, bear down and, and over meet uh, as a solution can be challenging. And, and so I'm seeing a lot of that. A lot of clients are coming to me complaining about their meeting schedules being overtaxed. Um, management uh, is worrying that things aren't going to get done on time because people are in you know, a bit of a emotional, comp- emotionally compromised state. Um, though I do think yeah. 
now compared to last May, for example, it's a different ball game. Um, you know, earlier on the panic levels were much higher, but now we're reaching this place of fatigue. So different challenges. Um, and I think, you know, avoiding that tendency to have a daily check-in meeting is actually an upgrade. The daily check-in for everybody where you're like, what are the deadlines? What are the timelines? How are you doing on that? Um, avoiding the daily, uh, and at the same time, finding the balance. Like one thing that I had uh, experience with was a group that they they just checked in with each other. They were like, how often do you want us to touch base? And so it's a little bit of a heavy lift on the part of leadership initially um, to find that out and to make note of that and then to honor those wishes. But the payoff in the long run is great because instead of assuming everybody wants to meet every day, they found out instead of, you know, that curse of knowledge, because I want to meet every day, you must want to meet every day. Um, they just asked, yeah. how often do you need to touch base in order to feel like you're getting the support you need to accomplish what you need to accomplish? Um, so that's one area that I'm seeing challenge. You know, generally speaking, uh, prior to people going home, and I think this carries over, is the pressure to have great ideas also works as an obstacle against having great ideas. And so there's this tendency to shoot down ideas before they actually soar. Um, And that's another area of of conflict in the workplace that I see come up quite often. Um, We want to actually explore ideas and allow room for foolish ideas um, in order to explore ideas. And so, you know, the reason I bring that up is because I get really excited about being foolish in the workplace. It's an area, um, you know, I have a background in improvisation that I apply to my work. And, and so I think there's room for playfulness in the workplace. And one of those areas is around having the best idea, um, which can be just a real challenge. People will bring up an idea of like, here's what we should do. And then the response to that is that'll never work. And here are the reasons why that'll never work. But actually, if you were to take time to explore this idea, if it's really terrible, it'll show up as terrible. It'll be difficult to build on. Um, And the initial person who had that idea might even admit, oh, you know what? I don't know if this is going to work the way I thought it would. Um, And it's actually a lot better because it builds that relationship while that person feels like their ideas got hurt, which is really cool. Um, And I think this is even more critical now that people are working in a distributed way. The pressure has gotten much higher to have the best ideas. How are we going to move our business forward? How are we going to make sure the product goes out? How do we appeal to the current market? Um, Gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Now have the best idea and save our business. Well, that's hard. You need to make room for this place where you're like, all right, let's take two minutes to just list all of the things we would never do. What are the most foolish ideas um, that we would never actually implement to just make room for the possibility that something strange might show up? Um, So that's another area that I see quite often. I'll pause there. Yeah, Really, I mean, really interesting and, and lots to kind of touch on there. This idea of more touch points, I think that was very apparent, I think, at the start of the um, at the start of the, the pandemic, where so many people wanted to, I suppose, to reach out and, and, and to be connected and, and, and things like that. And I think you're right in saying that 
And I, I, I think it's a big pressure here. And I posted something on LinkedIn the other day, which really resonated about this idea of having too many meetings and the meetings not having an agenda. And so it's a meeting for meeting's sake. Um, right. It's not really a meeting to drive outcomes for the business as such. It's kind of just for the sake of, of having a meeting when actually that's not needed. And you're so right in saying, like, if you just asked people, because at the start of the pandemic, you know, people were giving all these rules saying, oh, it's best to over communicate and it's best to we meet on a weekly basis or on a daily basis or, or whatever it might have been. But actually, in my mind, the best approach is to ask someone else and to check mm-hmm. in with them and say, let's like, if you do, you feel like you need a daily check in with me, let's do daily and let's let's find out how that's going and let's be open and honest with each other about whether it's working or whether it's not working. Is it too much? Um, you know, and, and, and kind of having it almost as an iterative process. And like, I don't need this much support anymore. I'm actually okay. I'm doing okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And this idea of over meeting as a solution. So like, that's a solution to all our problems and, and right. Various yeah. things. I think it's a I think it's a really heavy lift though for leadership honestly up front it's a heavy lift to, to check in with your people in that way um, yeah. but I do think it's worth doing um, because it's a heavier lift to have to replace people yeah and it's and when people are frustrated by being micromanaged that's what happens you know I've never met anyone ever who introduced themselves as a micromanager I've never met anyone who was like, you know what I like to do? I like to control every detail of every minute of the business. And I like to keep a stranglehold and make people feel small. That's the way I lead. Like nobody ever says that. People come from this place of great intent of wanting to make Mm. sure everyone's doing the best. Or they may come from a place of fear. If it fails, it's going to fall on my shoulders. They're never like, you know, it's fantastic micromanaging. So, you know, an alternative (laughs) to what might end up being an accidental micromanaging choice is to, is to check in and do that heavy lift up front. And I, but again, it's worth it. Um, because what you want is for your people to feel empowered and trusted and engaged. That's what you want. So they'll bring their best work and assuming that by having your, you know, micro, you know, again, no one's thinking of it that way for themselves, but assuming that what people need is to meet more often in order to be successful is a little bit like when I was a kid and my mom would say, it's cold outside. I'm cold. So you need to go put on a sweater, right? It's like, it's just hugely assuming that my experience is the same as hers and it couldn't be more different. So I, I do encourage people to definitely do, do that work up front. Uh, and the, the second point that he made around this pressure to have good ideas and ideas get shot down because they're trying to find the best idea without actually, without allowing, um, without allowing the idea to, to breathe or to spread or to be challenged to come up with a, an even better solution. Um, but it, it occurred to me as well that oftentimes when we're, um, when we are communicating and when we are in those types of situations that we're trying to reach the best possible outcome. And it's, it's a case of, um, yeah, you're just trying to get to that, to that best idea and the way people communicate with each other. And there's, and I'd love to get, to get your views on this. There's different, let's, uh, I was going to say personalities, but, but before we came yeah. on, we talked more about behavior. So there's different behaviors that happen at work and, 
I'll share an example from my own experience where um, let's say there's one person who's who's quite dominant in the meeting and their ideas yes. are being shared. They're not being challenged. They're, they're maybe somewhat being challenged, but not being challenged to a degree that that the other person is really taking her on board or really listening. So I'd love to get your mm-hmm. views on those types of work dynamics, which I'm sure a lot of people who are listening today can really relate to. Um, and, and maybe, here's, an, here's another thing, maybe it makes things a little bit easier on Zoom that more people get the opportunity to speak and to, to share their ideas and to share their, their voice. Yeah, well, it takes somebody paying attention to whether or not everyone is getting an opportunity to share their voice and whether or not that's necessary. It's not always needed at all times to have everyone's voice heard. That being said, it is necessary for everyone's voice to have the opportunity to be heard. And I know that's kind of a strange distinction. Um, well, I was going to challenge that and say, well, what exactly do you mean by that? So I'd love for you. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's explore that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, there's a, there's the, um, the balance to be struck because if time is money and you're allowing for time to have everyone's voice heard on everything, um, that's, you know, there's a, there's a premium on time. That's, that's an expensive choice. The end it, you know, there's that old adage that too many cooks spoil the pot. And I come from this place of collaborative work, right? Like I, you know, a lot of the tools that I use that help people collaborate more effectively come from the world of improv theater where we'll, you know, we'll get on stage as improvisers to do a show. And sometimes what's needed as a player is to be the support player, to stand in the background and look like you're at a cafe and say nothing. Sometimes that's the best role that you can play. So there's a balance to be struck, but you want everyone in the ensemble. If we were on stage, everyone on the team, if we're in the workplace, you want them to have the opportunity to do something differently, to add an idea of value. You want to make room for that. Um, and so that's a tricky balance, um, but it's critically important. Um, I lost where I started on this, but I think those things matter. <laughs> what was your initial question again? It's whether people are being heard versus whether they have the opportunity to be heard. Right, right. And we started with this idea that some people are really like they're the loudest talkers in the room. So their ideas are being heard. No one's necessarily challenging Mm -hmm. them. So then how do you find the balance there? So I do think it's important to state that first piece, which is um, there can be this thought that in collaborative work as a leader that you have to suddenly invite 50 people that you manage to have conversation with you. And it's really consuming. So it is. uh, But there are ways to avoid the default of falling to the loudest talker in the room, which is what you're referring to. Um, and as you mentioned, there are these different behaviors that show up in the workplace. So, you know, you hear those personality typing things. There's lots of them. There's insights. There's, um, uh, I can't remember the one with the IMFD. The, there's all these different uh, personalities. Myers- Myers-Briggs type indicator. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 These are, and these can be really helpful to people to have a way of thinking about how other people might communicate. But in our experience with art of change, what we've noticed is what we're really talking about are behaviors that show up and behaviors are contextual. So someone who is introverted in one context might be extroverted in another context. Um, And it's true that certain behaviors tend to show up more often for people uh, 
at work than at home. But the point is that behaviors can change and behaviors are motivated. And when you understand what motivates people's behaviors, it's easier to address them than simply labeling somebody as you're just that kind of person. Um, So when it comes to someone who's motivated by hearing their ideas out loud, it's great to, (laughs) it's great, you know, somebody who's like the loudest talker in the room, they have lots of great ideas. It's great to understand what some of those underlying motivations are. Um, And we often break these behaviors down into four different intents. So one is to be appreciated. One is to be heard. Uh, Sorry, one to be appreciated, to be right. Well, I obviously didn't prepare for this, but um, to get it right, get it done, get appreciated and get a fourth one. I'll have to come back to it. I'll, uh, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll send you a brief synopsis of the model that you can share with people since I'm not fully, I've been working on this other content. And so that's what's in my head around having reasoned discourse, despite disagreement, we can get there if you want to. Um, so I don't have this model front of mind at the moment, <laughs> but what's, <laughs> but what's important about the model is that when people want to get appreciated, um, a great way to sort of bring their idea that like loud talker behavior um, to a close is to give them the appreciation they seek so that you can move into something else. Um, When people just want to get it right, that's when you see that they're often um, sort of like slamming the brakes on ideas. When people are speaking up saying that'll never work, it's because they really want to get it right. And you want to give people a job, uh, an opportunity in order to have those things hurt. Those people have a superpower. Those are your risk assessment managers. Those are, you know, those are some people that are really critical to have in the workplace. Um, But at the initial stages of ideation, you need to put that on hold, right? So you want to say, look, we're going to throw out some ideas and some of them are going to be undoable. So that that person knows when they hear an undoable idea that that's to be expected. So you want to give people those jobs. Um, If somebody's, uh, get it right, get it done. If somebody's in get it done mode, they're really thinking about timelines. And those are the folks that can end up, uh, the behavior when that shows up can end up putting a lot of pressure on a situation. So, you know, letting people know that, look, we, we're going to set a time limit for foolish ideas. And then when that draws to a close, we're going to evaluate that can let people know who just want to get it done, going to get it done. We need to put a pause in order to get there. Um, so it's a lot about getting people the information that they need so that the behaviors um, that show up when they're in a place of fear or worry that they're not going to get appreciated, they're not going to get it done, that they're not going to get it right, that those fears can be addressed. Um, it's going to dri- I'm going to have to look it up. It's going to drive me nuts that I can't remember the fourth set of behaviors. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the, when it comes to the... I'll add it to the show notes and I'll add it to the summary as well. <laughs> Excellent. I'm so glad uh, because I think people want to see that. And I think that um, it's helpful to know those things because when you're looking at that setting where you're like, how do we get everybody's ideas heard? It's helpful to know that by addressing these concerns, um, you can make room for different levels of idea ideation to show up. Um, but there's also the simple things of knowing that some people process out loud and some people process internally. So giving people those opportunities as well, you know, yeah. as a, 
as a training facilitator, we're given all of these um, techniques for doing that. But when you're leading a team, you're not necessarily run through a facilitation training where you're taught how to be a great facilitator. Um, you're simply really good at your job and then you're leveled up and then you're like, now have these people do that job, but you don't do that job anymore. And also your how isn't their how, so just lay off. Yeah. So it's good to <laughs> have a couple facilitation techniques in mm -hmm. your belt, which are, um, having people talk to each other one-on-one -on -one and then share out. That's a great way to evaluate things. It's a great way to, you know, give people a task and break them into tiny groups inside the meeting and then have them share out, have people write their ideas um, instead of talking their ideas. Um, the nice thing about what I, we would call pair and share, uh, it's what my friend Shana at uh, Merlin Works Improv, she, she calls it a pair and share. Um, What's nice about a parent share is you get your out loud thinker, they get this opportunity to think out loud while somebody who would rather process internally listens and has thoughts. And then by the time we're sharing out, sometimes that internal processing has completed and you get to hear those thoughts because the out loud thinker already did theirs. Yeah. So, you know, that can be really helpful. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely one of those uh, internal processors for sure. I'm really fascinated by this idea of you, you talking about behaviors and behaviors being contextual and the intent behind the behavior really is what we want to focus on and not blanketly saying to someone, you're just lazy or you're just, you know, insert whatever it is that you want at an identity level. It's more, this is how your behavior is actually showing up and this is what we think as a result um, of that behavior and having tools and techniques in place to be able to address those, I think is really, really important. Um, is Do those relate to specific, and I know we're talking about personality types again, but do they relate to specific ones? So like people who want to feel appreciated or right or, or want to get things done, like what, what drives that internally in them? Yeah. So the great intent of wanting, simply wanting to get appreciated can actually show up in several different bad behaviors. And again, I want to emphasize behavior over personality type because I think deep down, everybody has a part of them that wants to get appreciated. Mm. Um, and I think particularly when it comes to conflict, uh, this shows up in a big way. Um, there's this need to be like, look at me, I'm a good person, understand what I'm saying, <laughs> even when we have these differing points of view. So getting appreciated can show up in lots of different bad behaviors. Um, people might lose their temper and evolve into an explosion of anger and tirade. Um, it can show up in, in making sarcastic remarks to try and diffuse Mm. Um, any sort of tension that's sort of like, it can even be sarcastic remarks directed specifically at use so that might even be name calling, um, in a, and then if you give them a, like, why, why would you say that? They're like, I'm just messing with you. Why are you being so serious? Yeah, yeah. You know, so that kind of stuff can show up. Yeah. Yeah. I once, I mean, I once knew a man who thought it was endearing to call people jerks. He'd be like, that's fantastic, you jerk. And everyone's like, what, what did I do? So, you know, <laughs> um, but ultimately he just wanted people to, he wanted appreciation in the form of laughter. And instead what was happening is people were experiencing an impact of like insult. So 
you know, it can, these behaviors show up in different ways and it isn't always anger based. It's, they could still be bad behaviors coming from a really good place. Mm. Um, and those are just a couple of examples. So, um, you know, right now I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've been putting out this free workshop and the focus is on having reasoned dialogue with people, even when you disagree with them. And I think it's critical because if we're going to accomplish anything on this planet to move us forward, we have to be able to have the tough conversations. You know, politicians need to have tough conversations with each other. Um, In business, we have to have tough conversations to move the business forward. In our families, we have to have the tough conversations to preserve the relationships. Um, The consequences, if we don't, is we get these big rifts. Um, our politics, our poli- uh, political landscape starts to feel like the world is crumbling. Our families have these huge divides and people disown each other. People lose friends. The consequences at work of failing to have these really critical conversations is you lose employees. You just lose them. And you don't, you know, mm. I, I've heard people say it's important to retain top talent but then I've seen that their behavior is kind of like, well, good and riddance. I didn't really like talking to them anyway. So, you know, it's important to retain top talent, but you got to put your money where your mouth is, literally. You know, you've got to be able to have yeah. these critical conversations when you disagree with people. Um, and I find that speaking to people's good intent is helpful in in such an amazing way. Um, Now, I want to be clear, saying you just want to get appreciated is not going to be a helpful way to say that. Um, (laughs) Instead, you want to show appreciation for something. You want to find a way to show appreciation. Um, And the simplest way Mm -hmm. to do that is to actually state a sort of made-up great intent for a a behavior or something. Um, uh, What I teach people is to listen for what people care about and then speak to that. Um, you know, if, and what's cool about it is you don't even have to get it right. If you're stating what you think somebody's good intent might be. So for example, if I'm having a really politically charged conversation on Facebook, this is an exciting example. Um, and you know, one, one person is really dug in and we're, the thing is devolving, instead of digging your heels in and saying, look, I'm right and you're wrong and here's all the reasons I'm right, let me throw you seven more pieces of data that prove my point, it's more effective to stop, take a breath. It's Facebook. It'll still be there. Take a couple hours. If you really want to come back and have that engagement, then it's helpful to say, look, based on what you're saying, I think you really care about. And then fill in that blank with something that you think speaks to their positive intent, the values behind what they're talking about. So it might be you really care about justice. And that gives them an opportunity to say, you know what, it's not justice so much as fairness, and here's why I think they're different. Um, And getting curious, opening that door helps repair the relationship a little bit. It shows that you're curious enough to listen. it's incredibly critical in the workplace as well. If somebody's got a, an idea that they keep pushing and you're like, this is a terrible idea. Why do they keep bringing it up? Instead of asking, why do you keep bringing up this really bad idea? Um, it can be helpful to stop and say, it seems like you really care about and then make up a really awesome 
reason why they might be doing that. Just make it up if you don't know what it is. Be like, it, it seems like you really care about having the best possible product for our clients. Something like that, because people love to be seen in that way. They're like, yeah, I do care about that. I totally care about that. And then have them fill in the blanks for you. What does this idea have to do with that? It's not obvious to me. Let them draw those. Yeah, no, I love everything that you've had to say. And I think um, we sort of skirted over a little bit. We started talking about the tough conversations, but you've provided some really solid examples of how to have those tough conversations when there is that conflict. I think it's important to recognize that there is an element of positive conflict that's needed at work. So it's not it's not all a case of uh, conflict for conflict's sake or conflict it means fighting. Conflict can lead to innovation as well. So I suppose it's it's important to call that out. Something that I jotted down earlier that, sorry, we never really kind of got back to it was this idea of meetings and having too many people. I'd love to get your views on this. Oh, so yeah, you have yeah. too many people and does everyone get a chance to speak? But what if, and this is something that I feel has come up a lot for me this week, what if people were given a level of accountability and decision-making ability that they didn't have to call meetings to make decisions that that this they are accountable for making that decision. They might need to get input from one or two people, but ultimately they make the decision. Or if we're having a meeting, why, if there's someone there who doesn't have decision-making ability and it's just for information purposes, can they receive an email afterwards to let them know of the outcome or, or can they receive notes or something like that? I suppose I'm thinking more of how do we save mm-hmm. time and how do we shift the level of accountability from leadership down into the, the kind of the lower levels for people to to step up, to take responsibility and start making decisions for themselves. Yeah, I think those are all really great ideas. And um, I think you also bring up something interesting, which is um, who is needed at a meeting? How long are they needed at a meeting? Um, Those are two different questions. Sometimes you need somebody to show up at the meeting who has important information for the decision makers. And sending them an email is a great idea, but we all know they're never going to read it. So you've got to bring the person in to give them the information firsthand so they can ask questions, right? So like, like that's a thing. But there's sometimes an assumption that that person who came at the beginning of the meeting to give that information somehow needs to stay. And I think that's a faulty assumption. Um, unless they want to stay to hear the outcome, why not give them the gift of their productive time back? Why not say thank you so much? If you'd like to stay, you're welcome to. We're going to deliberate on that. Um, But I strongly believe that if you're having a meeting, uh, it should 100% be about getting the brains in the room together to be utilized. If it's simply to disseminate information, I am a strong believer that sending a video or sending um, data or charts or an email is a much better way to go. And you can always do the reverse mode of, of learning, which is you send the information out ahead of time and then you talk about it in the meeting, you know, like a book club, but for important work decisions. Um, there's that thing that, Uh, people often forget to do, which is check in to make sure people have read and then give them opportunity for that right then and there. So if the habit hasn't been formed in your organization, but you really want to just send things via email, it doesn't hurt to send it out via email. And then at the top of the meeting, be like, um, has everyone had a chance 
to read that because if you haven't, I can give you that time right now. So let me know if you need that so that you're opening the door for people to be honest about that. Um, as opposed to saying, Mm -hmm. has everybody read the thing? Okay, great. We're just going to jump in. You know, it's, it's important to check in with people and to, and to allow it to be okay that someone was like, you know what? I didn't read the thing. I, I was about to say that you need to be in a psychologically safe environment in order to say, actually, I haven't read it and I do need that time now. But then that kind of pisses off other people in the meeting as well. It's like, why did I bother reading it before we came here? Well, if you make it sound like a gift that you're giving people, then it's then it works out, right? If what you say to people is... Um, Okay, we're going to take some time for that right now. So if you've already read it, this is a great time to go answer whatever pending emails you put on hold. We'll come back in 10 minutes and we'll start this meeting for real. And 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 it'll be great. You know, like it's going to be great. So give people that gift of like, well, it looks like everyone else is going to get a bonus 10 minutes, you know? And, you know, instead of it being about shaming or about wasting other people's times, you, it's, you don't need to ask people to stay and sit while everyone else watches. It's like, let's great. If we're in a zoom meeting, let's turn our cameras <laughs> off. We'll come back in 10 and yeah. get started so that you have time to get caught up. Um, I could use a glass of water. I'll be right back. You know? So I, I think making space yeah. for that, realizing people are human um, and avoiding that trap of like, okay, great. Let's dive in. I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to read aloud the things that I need you to know. It's a trap. So instead of that, let's find a better way. Um, That being said, if the read aloud is followed by a let's then talk about things as I'm going point by point, that's utilizing the brains in the room. So there is places where having something shared on screen that's a lot of data that people need to react to makes a ton of sense. I would never say everything should be via email. What I'm saying is if it's something that could be read ahead of time and then discussed later, perhaps another approach would work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is there anything else, Aidan, that you would like to share today in relation to communication that we haven't necessarily touched on? Yeah, you know, I today I read um, this wonderful guide that um, I'm in a Facebook group focused on leadership skills um, that I really enjoy being part of. The discussions in there are really interesting. And a member of that group recently um, had posed this question about how do you build trust in the workplace? And he's he compiled all of these thoughts. That group is made of um, not just people who are actually in leadership positions, but people who are who want to be future leaders, people who maybe manage a team of mm-hmm. two, people who are coaches, people who are trainers. There's like all kinds of people in this group. So he collected all of that information and he made this document, uh, which I read. And it's a very well put together document. It's brilliant. And what I was struck by as I was reading this document is how long it is. Because building trust in the workplace can actually be quite complicated. Um, There isn't a one fits all solution. And I think ultimately when you're working and you're like, I want a happy, productive workforce, you think I'm going to implement this Mm -hmm. one thing and then everyone will be served. And the truth is it's a one, it's a one fits one scenario to really bring out the best in people. Mm -hmm. And so while this uh, list of things that build trust is absolutely true, 
it will be up to those people who are looking at that list of helpful things and, and picking and choosing from it, um, which is a complicated thing to do. Um, that being said, these small practices of listening for what people care about and then speaking to what you think their good intent is will get you far. Assuming that people um, need something when bad behavior shows up and then trying to give it to them um, in a way that isn't over overdoing it, those subtleties. And all of these skills can be practiced. So that's, I think, what I would like to leave people with is that you can practice these things. And uh, if you want to try something out, I, you know, I come from this world where it's not unusual to put things on stage. Um, and so it's not unusual for me to come home and say, I'm working on something. Can we role play this? And my husband is game for that. Not everyone has that luxury. Um, but I do think if you want to build skills, you have to practice. So if you think that it's uncomfortable to ask someone that you love and care about who you know already loves and cares about you to practice something with you, if you think that's uncomfortable, how uncomfortable is it going to be when you're going to do it in the real world at a real moment? So I'd say go ahead mm. and get uncomfortable practicing some things in a safe environment so that like a workshop or with a loved one, um, so that when you've got to put it on its feet and really be there for the people that you're leading, you're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really, really love all of that 100% agree um, <laughs> and practice and getting into the habits and this idea of one size fits all versus one size fits one like I think the way the entire world is moving is towards personalization and yeah. I guess it's having that conversation one-on-one -on -one to understand what are the needs what are the behaviors of that person who who you're dealing with and what is it that they need from you in order to build that level of trust. So I really like that. And you did bring up trust earlier in the conversation. I did mean to go back to it. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, Absolutely. Aidan, if people would like to reach out to you, what is the best way that they can do that? And feel free to talk about your podcast and any ways that yeah. people can connect with you. Um, there are three ways. And I think that that's... Um, Sometimes that's a lot. So I'll say the easiest way is to just go to artofchange.com. Um, there's the gateway for everything. So visit the website, artofchange.com. But I do want to talk about these three separate things. Um, and so the three separate things are listen to the changed podcast. I think that um, it, what's cool and interesting about it to me is while it's not a business podcast, there is so much there in listening to it that inspires people in the work that they are doing. And I, so I think it's appealing in that way. Um, but particularly to those leaders who are students of human behavior, which I think if you're leading people, then you should be. Uh, if you really want to explore what it means to people to experience change, understand that it's, it's different for everybody. And also there are some similarities that can be drawn. So you'll see there are certain things that come up for people. Change is easy. Change is hard. Change is fun. Change is weird. And so those things show up. Um, so listen to the changed podcast, um, which is available everywhere. And, um, the second way is, uh, at least for the time being, and I don't know how long I'm going to be doing these for free, but for the time being, you can take a free workshop 
for me that has content in it that I normally charge for. Um, the deeper dive is still there to be paid for. Absolutely. I, don't get me wrong. I'm happy to take your money. But um, this workshop, Reason in an Outraged World, is all about having meaningful conversations with people, even when you disagree with them. And I've done something which is unusual for me, which is open it up to the public to just enroll for free and work on these skills. And I'm doing this because it makes my heart feel better. Uh, it has been a trying time for everyone I know. And one of the consequences for, for this period of time is that I have witnessed friends losing friends. Um, and I don't mean to death. I mean, being cut out of each other's lives because they disagreed on something that was extremely important. Um, and I've witnessed rifts show up in families and I've even see these things. Um, I've seen these things impacting people in their workplace. These issues outside of work are coming now into work. So being able to be equipped with tools that help you have those conversations better is incredibly important. And I want people to have that. So I'm doing that for free. The deeper dive is a, a different story. And finally, um, people can work one-on-one -on -one with me. Um, I have uh, an offer right now, a little taster teaser. If you're like, what is it like to work with Aiden? And I am accepting a few new clients for next month. Um, this taster teaser is 90 minutes to help you get unstuck on one particular uh, sticky area. So it could be a particular presentation that you're working on for work that you want to make sure that you're set up for. I can help you in 90 minutes. I can help you identify a couple clear tactics to try. So you walk out with something tangible that you can put into action. Um, it could be that you're um, struggling with a particular decision or you're having stuck communication with a single person. Um, and so in 90 minutes, we're not going to change your life, but we'll actually give you something tactical and actionable that you can immediately implement and have improved movement on that area so that you're no longer feeling stuck. And so that's the third way that you can reach out to me right now. Um, and all of that is at artofchange.com. So Aiden, the, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? Um, I get really excited when I get to come up with new ideas and solutions in collaboration with other people. Uh, that is the thing that makes me the happiest is when our brains get to bounce ideas off of each other and then we get to see that thing come to life. Excellent. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed chatting to you on the Happier at Work podcast today. This has been an absolute delight. Uh, you're going to have to now come on to my show because I think it would be fun to have you there and get to hear one of your stories. I would love that. Wonderful. Definitely. Before wrapping up the podcast with a summary of some of the key points that Aidan and myself made throughout our discussion, I wanted to let you know about heading over to the happieratwork.ie website where you can find out more about what I do and how I can help your business. But you can also sign up to receive the podcast directly into your inbox on a weekly basis. Just click on the podcast tab in the happieratwork.ie website. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation with Aidan. Some of the key points that we made about how to communicate more effectively was to assume the good intent of the person who is trying to communicate. At its basic level, communication is about the exchange of ideas. 
And it's really important for business. In fact, it's one of the more fundamental elements of having a great business relationship is the ability to communicate. So both listening and to have yourself be understood by other people. And we often assume that people understand what we're saying when we're saying it. This is a cognitive bias that we have. When delivering new information, it's always really important to ask whether anyone has any questions. It's really important as well to build great communication, to build up trust within an organisation. Being able to notice people's body language is important. And, and that's, I suppose, one of the areas that makes it more difficult to be able to have real intense communication when we are working remotely. It is difficult to do our best work when we are afraid and especially in the time like the pandemic when this has been ongoing now for nearly a year at this stage and we're all living in this surreal world, to be honest. A couple of the points that Aidan made specifically on this was to increase the number of touch points. So just connecting with people on a more regular basis. This is something that we can't necessarily artificially create, so it needs to come from an authentic place. But oftentimes over meeting, as she called it, is seen as a solution. But it's it's really understanding what level of touch points that each individual within a team requires. There's also a huge amount of pressure to have good ideas. And then when ideas get shot down, then it it drives a sense of fear and mistrust in the workplace as well. Really, what you want to do is drive an empowered, entrusted and engaged workforce. Pay attention to whether everyone's voice is being heard. And I know this has definitely come up in conversation uh, previously on the podcast and making sure that everyone has the same share of time or share of voice within the conversation. But also worth bearing in mind is the premium of time that we have. So if we're encouraging people to not have back-to-back meetings, to reduce meetings from one hour down to 50 or 45 minutes so that people have breaks in between, then time is at a premium and it's, it's ensuring that the right people are being heard. And sometimes then other people will be playing a sub, more of a support role in that meeting. And that's purely for from an accountability perspective. Another area we spoke about is, is this fact that behaviours are contextual. That means that they can change and that they're motivated by the environment that someone is in. So it's not just a blanket, you're just that kind of person. We really need to understand someone's intent behind what behaviour they're displaying. So a couple of the, the intents that Aidan had mentioned were the intent to feel appreciated, the intent to be right, or the intent to feel accomplished. This is particularly important when you have a conflict with someone. So it's about finding out someone what someone's intent is and speak to that intent. So listen for what people actually care about, reflect back to them using their language. And, you know, something like, well, it sounds like you care that And this will help you to gauge whether or not someone is really interested in what you think they're interested in as well. We touched briefly on having tough conversations and how important it is to be able to have those those tough conversations and that all conflict isn't necessarily bad. And sometimes there can be positive conflict within workplaces. And it's really important to drive this positive conflict in workplaces as well. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie. 